All right. Uh, I think this is a good time to get started. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for coming and hopping in. Um, this is going to be a, a pretty fun time. Um, I, uh, I, I think we can get started. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, this is the second episode of Off the Chain uh, with the Bitmart team. Today, we're talking about uh, Web3 in 2023, uh, what's new and what's next. And uh, a lot of the, the stuff we're going to talk about today is going to be about, you know, kind of looking forward into uh, the year that's going to come. You know, we, we've had a pretty tumultuous 2022, but uh, I, I think us and, and a lot of the guests that are going to be coming in and to talk to us are going to have a lot of different opinions about the things that we're going to see coming into uh, 2023. And so we have a really great lineup for you guys. Uh, so I guess first off, I, I think it's kind of important to understand why we want to go ahead and, and chat about, you know, what's going to happen in 2023 and, and, and why we wanted to frame this as kind of Web3 specifically. Uh, and I think before we kind of go into that, it's really important to understand like why Web3. And, and I, I think we all kind of know what Web3 is, but kind of how we got to where we are uh, and, and kind of the steps. So, uh, you know, obviously we started with, you know, Web1, which was kind of the ability to uh, get read read and write on the internet, right? And, and the ability to kind of transfer information uh, across the world kind of as fast as possible. Uh, and, you know, that was, I, I would say, kind of like early internet days. I would say something like, you know, old, mid, early 90s to mid 90s, all the way through like, you know, the early 2000s. I mean, that was kind of like, you know, we saw blogs get really popular. We saw the transfer of information on a worldwide level become almost instantaneous. And I think that's when we kind of start to see uh, the, the, the creation of web two, right. Which is really like right around the early social media days, I would say like, you know, mid 2000s, 2005, 2006, 2007, all the way until kind of the end of the kind of 2000 teens, I would say something like 2016, 17, 18. Um, and that was really, you know, uh, marked by the rise of social media, uh, the ability to uh, have video and media transferred at light speed. Right. And, and, and for worldwide, uh, access um, and, and the transfer of everything from uh, you know video streaming to uh, multimedia pictures and and that was kind of the advent of social media and uh, really allowed us to have full communication across the world at any given time uh, you know whether it's video chatting you know sending pictures to friends and things like that and then now uh, we we really think that we're kind of hitting this point of Web three where now the transfer of value is going to be instantaneous borderless. Uh, at, at any given level. Uh, and so um, that's kind of why we wanted to frame this conversation around, you know, Web3 in 2023 and, you know, what's new, what's going to be happening. So uh, really excited for everybody joining us. Uh, I do want to mention that, uh, you know, we do have a little bit of an agenda today and I can kind of run through that really quickly. There's a few things I want to hit before we get started. Um, so, so first, in, in a couple minutes, I'm going to bring on uh, Nick, who is the uh, uh, VP of marketing at Bitmart, uh, as well as Wes Kaplan, who's the uh, CEO of Cointelegraph US. We're gonna we're gonna have them do a little quick Q and A about some of their thoughts about some of the things happening in the space. Then we're going to go into our leading project partners, where we have Alex, co-founder of Rarible. We have Stefan from Laguna. We have Josh Fraser from Origin. Uh, Elsa Shi from Bitmetis. Even L Ivan Lin from Wave and uh, you know, conductor of Assassin's Creed, and then Sandy Carter, 
uh, from unstoppable domains. Then we're going to, after we kind of go into some, t- some discussions about leading projects, we're going to go into uh, a venture discussion with some of our venture partners. We're going to have uh, Yida Gao of uh, Shima. We're going to have James Prio from Figment. We're going to have Peter Yang from Fenbushi Capital, uh, Maria Chalk from uh, Republic Crypto, Kenny Wu from em- Emergo Ventures, Eric Bai at Sefolio Ventures, and Paul Solnetsev, uh, who's the head of the Cointelegraph Accelerator. Um, and then uh, also uh, Ms. Lee Fan, who is the uh, chief strategy officer at BitMart is going to be coming in there to, to kind of help some of those discussions. And then lastly, we're going to have a little section where we talk about L1s and L2s and kind of the future of the uh, scaling and infrastructure space. And we're going to have uh, Jasmine Wan, co-founder of Sui World. We're going to have Greg Hemmer from Shardium and Chris uh, from Conflux Network. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have some really great partners that have been able to help us make this happen. We have Cointelegraph, Whale Coin Talk, uh, Crypto Feed, uh, Hulk or Die, Elite Crypto, and, and, and many more amazing partners who have helped make this happen. Um, and one last thing I want to mention before we get back into it is uh, the Bitmar team has been amazing enough to uh, put together some giveaways. So at the end of each section, uh, after our leading project section, our crypto venture section, and our L1 and L2 section, uh, we're going to be having a small giveaway. Uh, we're going to be asking some questions. They're, the questions are going to have a tweet posted, and we'll go ahead and pin that tweet. And uh, we're going to have three questions, and the first person to answer those questions are going to win 100 USDT, Each uh, the first person to answer those. And then we're also going to be giving away 10 USDT each to 20 lucky winners uh, that attend this space. So in total, there's going to be three winners for 100 USDT each, and then there's going to be 20 winners for 10 USDT. Uh, and so, so definitely, you, we want the crowd to stick around for uh, some of these giveaways that are going to be happening. But... Uh, I think that is all we have on the admin, and, and a lot of these answers uh, are going to be able to be found on uh, the ecosystem report, um, and the, that is uh, pinned on the main Bitmark tweets, uh, the main Bitmark uh, Twitter accounts pinned tweets. Um, so, so you can uh, check out our yearly recap uh, for Bitmart, and and that'll kind of give you a, a little bit of hints for some of the answers. Uh, so, without further ado, I would love to. Uh, bring on Nick Hoog, who is the uh, VP of Marketing at Bitmart, and uh, he's going to be having a quick chat with uh, Wes Kaplan, who's the CEO of Cointelegraph US. So uh, Nick and Wes, feel free to hop off uh, mute, and uh, would love you guys to uh, to to pick your guys or for for you guys to pick each other's brains for a little bit and and tell us about some of your thoughts about the space. If we could have uh, Nick and Wes hop up here. I, I see they're already on stage. Um... Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Yep. We can hear you perfectly, Wes. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Oh, great. And let's just wait for Nick. Yes, just hopped on. Thank you so much uh, for the introduction, Ishan. Really, really great lineup today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and we are so excited and honored to have Wes Kaplan, 
CEO of Cointelegraph US with us for this special AMA. Um, Wes, thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. First off, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's great to speak with you, Nick, and talk to you again and to join the Bitmark community and uh, looking forward to today's discussion. Yeah, absolutely. It's truly, truly our pleasure. Uh, I know that we have a lot of listeners who are eager to learn more about Web3 in 2023. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive in, if you don't mind. Sure, let, let's do it. All right. So as we move from a Web2 era into Web3, what do you think some of the biggest challenges we face to increase crypto adoption and Web3 are? You know, is it awareness? Is it infrastructure? Mm -hmm. Is it educating the public? You know, we're really just looking for your thoughts here as a leader in the industry. Sure. Yeah, I think that's almost a twofold question. So I'm going to answer this at an industry level and then from a marketing perspective as well. So I think it's a combination of all from an industry level. I think it's a combination of all the things that you just mentioned. Right. Education and awareness. Um, like right now, everybody knows that we're dealing with this aftermath and, and, uh, and, and nightmare of the FTX saga. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what companies really need to be doing right now, they need to be providing value. And I really truly believe that the value oriented projects out there will be our MVPs that survive, right? Other things that, you know, are some challenges that we face are, you know, regulation and, and KYC, right? What can be controlled? What cannot be controlled? I'm looking at things like on-ramps, proof of reserve, proof of liabilities. I think these things are coming in 2023. Um, and then, Additionally, I think you need to have trust and security. So security from bad actors. I mean, I think we've, as an industry, lost over, I don't know, $2, two billion in 2022. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, so we really need to practice better security and really improve our infrastructure in that sense and build the trust that we need um, amongst participants of the ecosystem, um, whether that be exchanges, market makers, governments, or the consumer or trader, right? And then... When I think about it from a marketing point of view, um, some of the bigger challenges is really almost a comparison between marketing in Web 2 and marketing in Web 3, right? When you think about brand, right? In Web 2, brand is narrative driven. But in Web 3, it's really driven by the community. Um, you know, when, when you think about platform, right? It's owned by the audience and the community shapes the platform. Well, in, in Web3, the audience owns the platform. The platform is shaped by the community. And so, you know, you're, you're really looking at a different user experience than traditional segments. And that's what I think we need to migrate to is more of a seamless Web3 marketing offering um, where we're able to use what we have at our disposal to really go viral. Um, because, you know, in Web2, it's easy to achieve virality, right? But... In, in Web3, virality is smaller and harder to achieve. So it's really important that you do great marketing in order to kind of get ahead in this space. Absolutely. You know, one thing that you just touched on is, is value. And, you know, I think mm -hmm. the industry has done a really great job at discussing, you know, our technology and blockchain and decentralization and all of the nuances um, of Web3. But one thing that the industry, I think, really badly needs uh, is to help the public to better understand the day-to-day -day use cases. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm really, really glad that you touched on on value. Um, yeah, I, I certainly think that that's something that is desperately needed uh, in the industry. And of course, you know, better regulation, uh, KYC you touched on as well. Um, 
uh, all of those things are really going to help to contribute to the, the future growth of Web3 and to provide that infrastructure um, to allow more people to become familiar and comfortable with uh, decentralization in Web3. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing that, that I'm kind of wondering here are, you know, what <clears throat> trends are you seeing as it relates to marketing in the Web3 space? And, and really, what should companies be doing uh, now to, to bolster the industry? That's a great question, Nick. So let's break this again into two, right? What I'm seeing and what I think we should be doing as, as an industry, right? What I'm seeing is I'm seeing companies either doing going one or two ways, right? They're either diving deeper into the marketing and advertising and seizing the moment, if you will, of the, the opportunity to rise amongst the ranks within the crypto community. And, you know, or unfortunately, you're seeing some, you know, to use a trading term, you know, capitulation among um, among some of the, the projects out there, right? So there's definitely market share opportunities. Um, you know, new companies need to ensure, and this goes back to your, your value point, they're building projects that are compliant, needed, and valued, right? You know, and it and, and kind of has, you know, some similarities in what to do here in the sense of, you know, we need reasons to believe as a community. And I feel like that's what the, the industry is looking for, right? So, you know, as an industry and, you know, projects in the space, what do we need to do? Companies need to define their value proposition, right? In order for you to be successful, you should be able to clearly and succinctly be able to define who you are, what you do, and why you, people should care about um, something that's a little bit overly technical and, you know, getting over that hump and really getting through the jargon and making it simple for people to understand, right? Keep it simple, stupid, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, oftentimes in the crypto space, we're confronted with people that are skeptical and don't like to be marketed to. So it's not just enough to push a value prop, but you need to figure out how to make that value prop convincing. And when you position your project, you know, or idea and holding up an ethos, right? You start to build that demand. And then, you know, additionally, I think you need to, the community, you know, in terms of what they need to do from a marketing angle, right? They need to understand their target audience. You can't market to people if you don't know who they are. So by defining your target audience, it's going to be key to your successful marketing planning, right? Mm -hmm. um, you want to at least know who they are, what they care about, what challenges they face, where they engage, and, you know, why, why should they be interested in your project or, you know, a project, right? And then I would say, lastly, you need to select your marketing channels. In a time when, you know, there's an abundant amount of different channels, but there's only really, you know, a few that are, are widely used, right? Telegram, Twitter, Discord. Um, but people need to be doing analysis of their target audience to determine which one of those platforms is really best for their audience. So that they can provide... Um, engaging and consuming content in a more targeted strategy. So that's that's kind of how I um, kind of what I'm seeing and, and how I would handle and approach um, from a marketing point of view. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you have a really impressive background in brand development uh, and marketing, of course. Um, you know, and, and it, I think that you're giving really great advice here about, you know, a good brand and a good company really delivers their value proposition to give people a reason to believe. 
Um, you know, so I'm, I'm curious if you can kind of hone in a little bit more there. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Do you have any advice on how Web3 entrepreneurs and companies can effectively communicate the advantages of Web3 to their communities in ways that perhaps they'll, they'll better understand? Absolutely. I got, I got a bunch of tips, but I'll try and keep it <laughs> concise because I know we got, a, we got a lot of great speakers coming on today. Sure. Um, but I think the first, first thing um, in terms of advice is, look, content is king. Um, but community is kind of the emperor in proper marketing. And make sure that you invest in the marketing, right? So you can kind of think of them as dual monarchs, right? Content is the backbone of your marketing but it can come from anywhere. And by being creating an effective, engaged community, you not only have a loyal group of users who are ready to hear your message, but they're also ready to amplify and eventually help create content for you. The next thing I would highly recommend, um, you know, is really honing in on messaging and branding, right? Um, and, and, and that's for any marketer out there trying to, to, to push um, a project, exchange, et cetera. Right. And that's just on the marketing side. And then when you move over to the more holistic side, right, like how do you grow and get your brand out there? Well, you need to get out there. Right. You need to network. You need to meet other people in the space. You need to take notes and learn and ask questions and then also contribute and build and provide ideas. Um, and then, you know, last I wouldn't say last because I have one more. I would say PR. Right. You should always be looking for ways to provide valuable commentary on areas where you feel like you're a subject matter expert, grow your company's brand through thought leadership, right? And if you take all of these things, the messaging, the, the content marketing, the social media, the, you know, community management, performance marketing, et cetera, et cetera, right? And you, you weave them together. That's when you start to see the magic happen. And that's when you start to see integrated, we like to call them integrated marketing campaigns because We're back. Amazing. All right. Yeah, I think uh, we, we got rugged a little bit by Twitter. Um, but glad to have everybody back. Uh, looks like Nick is still connecting. Um, but yeah, we would love for uh, Wes and Nick to, to kind of uh, help bring us back in and, and uh, kind of wrap up that last couple sections. Uh, sure. So while Nick's joining, I can kind of just finish what I was saying. Um, is is Nick is did he join yet, or is he still connecting? He's still connecting, yeah. But if he's not able to, uh, we we can just kind of uh, uh, move the con yeah move the conversation along. Yeah, so I mean, just to sum it up, what I was saying is taking all the components of the different marketing um, types of types of the mix, the marketing mix, right? Your PR, your your content marketing, your social media marketing. Um, your community management and building integrated marketing campaigns that are focused on, um, you know, strong call to actions and really one mission um, is, is really one way to really develop and grow your brand um, and, and your marketing for that brand. Um, so, yeah, that that kind of answers your question. And then I'm, I'm happy to, you know, continue to provide some insights on anything else that you'd like to discuss. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree when it comes to kind of uh, using the entirety of the stack, right? Especially in Web3 marketing yeah. right now, we, we, we don't really have access to all of the tools in the Web2 toolbox. Um, like, for example, uh, you know, ad campaigns on social media so is still a little oh bit my tough. Oh, my God. It's a uh, and, and, that, and that's really unfortunate because there, there's, you know... Uh, it's kind of a you know like shrouded by the bad actors when there's actually a lot of like really great projects that are doing some really revolutionary things that really would find access to those channels very beneficial because there's consumers out there that want these things right absolutely i mean if you just think about what's going on right now with google right and how they're you know being you know charged by uh you know, the US, right, for their, their ad campaigns, and you think about crypto, and unless you have a FinCEN license, it's almost impossible, you know, to break that barrier of entry um, to, to even do SEM and, and paid marketing ads, you know, through the biggest search provider in the world. So we have a long way to go as it relates to kind of breaking through some of these barriers that, you know, traditional Web 2 hasn't really had to deal with at the same scale as, as Web 3. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I could not agree more. Um, I, I, I I do want to ask while while we're getting Nick up here, mm-hmm. um, you know, since you have such a uh, such an impressive background in, in brand development and marketing, um, do you have any like kind of? I, I guess we kind of went through. So like, what what about Coin Telegraph? Right? Like, do you mm-hmm. guys have anything up and coming in twenty twenty three that you guys are kind of particularly excited about? Um, I yeah. guess Coin Telegraph US specifically, but yeah, I would love to hear about some of the things you guys have going on. Yeah, sure. So um, we you know, we have a lot of really exciting things coming along. So one thing that we just did is um, we just launched our podcasts. Um, So definitely tune in, check out some of our podcasts. We're really, really excited about that. Um, And in addition, you know, we have this unbelievable kind of secret department called CT Studio within Cointelegraph that is a full on um, full market, um, full marketing service agency that is pretty full stack, right? Um, you know, today, actually, we had, in addition, we uh, launched the, um, what is it called, the pre-sale for our Snoop Dogg and Billy Ray NFT. And we actually had Snoop Dogg uh, give, a, give us a little bit of love in, in a tweet to our uh, collaborative partners, Animal Concerts. Um, and that's called, and that collection is called The Hardworking Man. Um, and it's pretty cool because you'll, you'll get the opportunity to purchase NFTs that can get you Snoop Dogg concert tickets, backstage passes, um, airline gift cards. You know, it's really redeemable focus and it's for the hardworking man. Um, so it's very, very cool. And then, you know, I'll, I'll just give this community a little hint without spilling the beans too much, but we have this unbelievable um, market analysis tool called Markets Pro. Um, and, you know, we might have some upcoming things towards the middle of February coming out. Um, maybe some new releases or stuff of that nature that we're really looking forward to, but I don't want to spill the beans too much, but, you know, definitely stay tuned. Um, and, you know, I'll keep it that, keep it at that. Cause you know, don't want to go too, too deep into coin telegraph. I want to keep us focused here. Uh, well, that's, that's awesome. Uh, super exciting. Uh, I, 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 please, please remind us again that the name of the uh, NFT project with uh, Snoop Dogg and, uh, and, and remind that, uh, uh, remind us of that again. It's called a hardworking man. Um, and that's, that's the collection and it's with Billy Ray Cyrus and Snoop Dogg. Um, and you can find details awesome. on our website about that. 
or um, on Animal Concerts website. I'd be happy to drop a link or something like that. But, you know, again, want to stay focused on the content at hand. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I, ho- I hope the audience kind of keeps track of that. Sounds like there's some serious alpha being dropped. So uh, feel free to check out Hardworking Man. You can find more yeah. information on the Point Telegraph website and also on Markets Pro. Um, so it sounds like a really, really useful uh, informational tool. Um, so so super excited about those. Yeah. Uh, thank you again for your time, Wes. That, that this was super helpful and, and super generous of you to uh, kind of come in and hang out with us for a little bit. So we really appreciate the insight and, and super excited for, for everything we're going to see at Cointelegraph US this year. Thanks so much. Really, really happy to be here and uh, enjoy and look forward to enjoying this space with everybody. Awesome. Thanks, Ralph. Uh, I really, yeah, really appreciate it again. And I appreciate everybody for sticking around and, and helping us kind of get back on track uh, after our, uh, our slight rug. Uh, but excited to kind of keep this going. Uh, I'd love for us to kind of uh, move a little closer to, the, to our next section uh, where we have an awesome opportunity to talk with some leading projects. Uh, so I would love to bring on stage. Uh, we have six uh, super amazing, uh, you know, high-ranking uh, officials from a variety of projects. Uh, so we have Alex Salnikov, Salnikov uh, co-founder of Rarible. Uh, we have Stefan Rust, founder of Laguna. We have Josh Frazier, who is the co-founder at Origin Protocol. We have Elsa Shi, a founder at, of Bitmetis. Uh, we have Ivan Lin, founder of Wave. And last but not least, we have Miss Sandy Carter, uh, Senior Vice President and Channel Chief of Unstoppable Domains. Uh, so I just want to make sure we got everybody up here. I see Alex. I see Sandy. I see Ivan. A uh, couple more we are holding out on. I see Mr. Josh Frazier. Uh, would love to get him up here as well. Uh, but I guess while we're while we're getting that sorted out, I I, I would love to start. Uh, and, and maybe with Miss Sandy, since you since you've been up here for a little bit, um, I, I guess the first thing I kind of want to start with was, you know, uh, you know, we one of the cool things about this leading project section is we have uh, some experts in a lot of different niches, whether it's you know NFTs or DeFi or or some of these kind of mixed bags of, of kind of you know whether it's NFT fi or or infrastructure. Um, and I, I would love to to ask, and I guess we could start with Miss Sandy. Um, you know, in your kind of per, in your respective niche, and I, I guess this case is, I, I guess in infrastructure, I, I find it really difficult to kind of categorize the domain category because there's so many different ways you can do a lot of this domain stuff, and a lot of so many different categories you can activate. Uh, how do you think Web three is kind of positioned to being uh, to bring a lot of disruption to kind of your your Web two um, call it peers, call it adversaries. Um, yeah, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me. You guys uh, host a great Twitter space, so thank you so much. The category I'd put us in is uh, digital identity. Mm. And I think the disruption with this project is that, you know, if you think about digital identity in the Web2 space, your digital identity is tied to a platform. So you go and you sign into Google or you go sign into TikTok or to Twitter or Facebook and your identity is tied to that application, which means that the data from that application stays with them. Uh, and we know that Google and Facebook alone, just those two alone made $100 billion on selling your data, my data in that model. Well, now if we flip to Web3, the disruption here is that with a digital identity in Web3, which is manifest through a domain, um, as you log into an application, that digital identity stays with you. So you own it, 
it travels with you through the metaverse. Um, you log on and any data that is gathered belongs to you. So first of all, I think digital identity is a human right. I think that owning your own data, what you share about yourself is who you are. And so we all should be able to own that ourselves and then be able to get rewarded for that data. Um, so today, you know, um, I was listening to Wes talk about marketing. You know, if you think about marketing today, people buy lists from Facebook or from Google, and then they market to it, assuming a 30 to 40% fraudulent rate, give their customers a small discount because they've already paid a lot of money to the big platform players. In Web3, that reward goes straight to you, the user, the user owns it. And so, you know, you could get much larger discounts for sharing your data. But the main point is that you own it. So you decide when it's shared, how it's shared, how much it's shared, and for how long it's shared too. And for me, that's a huge disruption. And it's why I'm in the space today. Uh, I love that. that. That's so beautiful. And and, and it, it really is commendable to, to come at it from that angle. And, uh, you know, it, it's it, the identity part of it. Is, is I think going to be so key to the transition because it, it allows you to really break the middleman, right? And 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 really kind of take away this kind of rent-seeking middleman who who is uh, able to extract most of the value from the exchange. But now we can just connect straight from kind of buyer and seller of data or you know user of data from transmitter of data or creator of the data uh, directly. And in order for the value capture to be you know in, in who deserves the value capture, right? And not just kind of these uh, these these middlemen who create the infrastructure too. Um, That's so, right. So. I agree. And, and, you know, in the future, you could imagine that digital identity holding healthcare data, uh, education diplomas. Um, today, you know, we hold tickets, digital tickets and, you know, your sustainability score. If you're a company, there's just so much. It's it's so uh, super power, powerful. I'm very passionate about it. So thanks for allowing me to share a little bit about our project. Of course. No, the, the, the passion uh, seeps through. Definitely. Uh, I, I'd love to, to pause that same question. I just want to go in order and, and make sure we hit uh, Mr. Josh Frazier from uh, from Origin Protocol. I, I'd love for you to kind of hit that same question of, you know, how, how do you kind of think Web3 and, and kind of in your kind of respective niche of kind of Origin, which is kind of have so many vast use cases. Uh, how, how do you think you guys are kind of positioned to, to bring disruption to your, your Web2 counterparties? Yeah, well, Origin has products for attacking both DeFi and NFTs. Uh, so I can speak to each of those separately. Uh, on the DeFi front, we have Origin Dollar or, or USD, which is a yield-bearing stablecoin that earns yield while it's sitting in your wallet. You can think of it as the easiest way to get access to the best yields in DeFi without any of the hassles. Uh, and the three big disruptive qualities of DeFi, I think, are the transparency, the flexibility, and the permissionlessness of it. Uh, and we can take those one by one. For the transparency, I think, is pretty obvious after the fallout of this past year with FTX, FreeAC, Celsius, BlockFi, etc. Uh, you know, we, we are reminded of how important it is to be able to see exactly what's going on. And, and DeFi is here to save us from pinky promise funds are safe finance. Now, we, you know, we want to know that the funds are there. Uh, and it's really telling that during, you know, the, the crash and, and all of the uh, drama of last year, true DeFi, things like Compound, Aave, Uniswap, uh, they all held up just fine. And everyone could see uh, on chain without a question that all the funds were there, everything was, was solvent and collateralized. And so I think that's, that transparency is something that has been missing from traditional finance for and, and the Web2 world uh, for a long time. Uh, the second thing is flexibility. 
the composability and convenience of DeFi is, is really unparalleled. Uh, where else can you take out a multi-million dollar loan without signing any paperwork or having to talk to anyone? And you can do it in, in 15 seconds um, from anywhere in the world. Uh, and then you, the way you can stack different DeFi protocols together um, is really, really cool. And that, that composability just allows us to do things that just aren't possible in, in the traditional world. Uh, and then finally, the, the permissionless nature of it makes it so much more inclusive. Uh, you know, a couple of examples here. I have a friend who had three of his bank accounts closed just because he was unfortunate enough to have been born in Russia. Uh, had another friend, he runs an e-commerce site, and PayPal froze all of the funds uh, in his uh, account uh, because they had a suspicious spike in sales on, on Black Friday. Uh, and, and crypto fixes this. This is this is exactly this the sort of bullshit that um, crypto is here to solve. Uh, on uh, on the NFT side, uh, the other product we have is Origin Story, and uh, we've been fortunate to host multiple record-breaking sales, uh, starting with Blau's sale that did eleven point seven million dollars and really ushered NFTs into mainstream consciousness. We've also been fortunate to work with people like Paris Hilton and some of the hottest NFT collections out there like Pudgy Penguins. And one of the things I'm most excited about is seeing NFTs starting to transition from purely speculative assets into delivering real utility and real world value. Uh, a, a pretty cool example here is what we're working on with our partners at Roofstock. They're uh, a, a unicorn company in the real estate business. They've actually been tokenizing homes. And so we recently helped facilitate the sale of a home uh, on the blockchain. Someone bought an NFT. Uh, and with the transfer of that NFT, they took uh, legal ownership of that, of that property. Uh, and when you compare and contrast that to how sales are usually uh, performed in, in the Web2 world, you know, you've got, you're sending someone down to the local courthouse to, to ruffle through uh, filing cabinets to see if there's any liens against that property and try and figure out if you you actually own it or not. Uh, and the process is so flawed, you actually have to have title insurance just in case uh, you miss something. Uh, and so this is something that uh, blockchain technology uh, is really disruptive for as well. Um, we can actually have clear, indisputable uh, title to who owns what. And this works great for uh, digital assets, which we've seen. But I think we're, we're starting to see that, hey, you can connect this into the real world as well. Uh, and I think we're only started to scratch the surface and understanding just how disruptive this technology can be. Yeah, I, I think that was awesome insight. And, and I'm, I'm really excited for uh, kind of, and, and I, I think Origin is kind of at the center of it, which is this intersection of, you know, uh, defined NFTs and, and, you know, whether you call it NFT-fi or, uh, you know, something else. I, I really think like the kind of the financial services plus the kind of documentation side. Um, and I, I think like the, the, the roof stock example is a perfect kind of example of, of being able to bridge those two together and the, the kind of dynamic value creation you get from getting the efficiency of DeFi on the financial side. You can get kind of the security and safety and, and offsetting a lot of the trust of documentation to the NFT side. And then you combine both of those and you get like orders of magnitude more value. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely think that, that was incredible insight. Um, yeah, I, I would love to also move over, you know, kind of stay with, stick with the same question and, and move over to Alex, uh, from, from Rarible and, and kind of same question and, you know, understanding at how 
entrenched rareable is into the kind of nft landscape like how do you think rareable is kind of positioned to bring disruption to uh some of the kind of you know web two parallel companies you might see thanks for having me uh it's a great question rareable started as a marketplace and now we are more and more evolving into the infrastructure product that allows you to use api or to create your own marketplace using our enterprise offering or a standalone builder. And it's it's a funny way to put the question because uh, for for the NFT, there is not even many uh, parallel products in the Web2 and that's the real promise of Web3. Web3 is not doing some product uh, better than Web2. Web3 is enabling new kind of products and NFT is the completely new kind of product that just didn't exist before. You never really owned anything in in Web2 in in terms of content. All the content is like shared uh, on on somebody else owned uh, platforms, and it was never interoperable. So I guess the main disruptive property of Web3 is interoperability in terms of the NFT per, per se. In DeFi, transparency and security is important, but NFT massively benefit from interoperability. There is no, uh, like, that enables metaverse because when we say metaverse, we imagine something that is united, something that you can travel from one place to another. And uh, all that too, in that sense, it was kind of a silent, uh, a silent spaces with, with, with glass walls between them. Now you can have your wallet, you can bring your items to Facebook, to Instagram, to Twitter, um, to OpenSea, to Rarible, to any place with just your one identity that is your wallet. And and this is the most important disruptive quality of Web3 out there. You can you can bring your stuff and, and that makes the world into a universe uh, uh, rather than just like a couple different spaces. Uh, yeah, I, I think you bring up a really great point of um, the interoperability, right? That's that's kind of the key feature that's that's never been possible in in Web two, and that's going to unlock like you know I, I, I typically not the biggest fan when people use the metaverse term because I, I don't think necessarily they use it in the right way, but I, I think that's the perfect way of like just this interoperability of experiences that you get that that really are only unlocked by NFTs, and and that's gonna disrupt like a whole host of, of areas within um, you know kind of Web two. Um, so uh, yeah, re- really appreciate the insight there. Um, I, I'd love to move to uh, Stefan, um, who is the founder of Laguna. And I, I'd love to hear just kind of a, a little bit of your take on the same topic. And, and I think this is kind of more of a in the infrastructure niche. Um, but, you know, how do you kind of think Web3 is positioned to bring uh, disruption to, to like Web2 infrastructure? And, and, and how does kind of Laguna and, you know, Truflation and Nuon kind of help in those things? Yeah, thanks for having me here, and, and and glad I found the right link. So thanks for that. Um, yeah, it's um, look. I think we're going through a super exciting time. I think you know the last decade has really proven to provide significant innovation around really separating state and money, and that has only manifested itself in all the innovation that's happened from the source of Bitcoin through to, you know, smart contracts with Ethereum, through to ICOs, through to DeFi, through to NFTs, metaverses, 
gaming, etc. And and I think it's not going to stop. I think you know we as true believers in this industry are really trying to innovate around providing hope for the next generation, building new systems that are suited for an age where every single household today has electricity, everybody has a mobile phone, everybody has the internet as, an, as a core utility and a basic necessity that I think we need as a society. And we're building services that are made available and, and providing access to everybody that can um, integrate and interact with those, that infrastructure. So we're disrupting everything. I mean, if I look at what we're trying to do at Trueflation and at Nuon, we're launching, we've launched and a, a, a tracker of what and how the cost of living changes. Not only are we doing that, we're bringing real world assets and the prices of real world assets on chain. Why? Because all the people that have been trading in real world assets have been doing this in smoky rooms in dark-filled, cigar-smoked rooms where they're making decisions that nobody has insights into. All of a sudden today, everything is available transparently on a blockchain explorer, every wallet, every single price of a, of a trade that has happened through Oracle services. How do we now bring economic data and financial data and put that on-chain where just alone, if you look at foreign exchange rates, that's a seven trillion dollar, quadrillion dollar industry. Sorry, we don't even can't even figure and imagine how big that industry is. It's unregulated. It's done through thousands of different retailers that are aggregating price information and swapping that around around the world in different little tiny shops uh, where remittances can happen. How do we bring that price information and make that available? How do we tokenize? all of these assets. And by the way, these tokenized assets are going to be in the form of synthetic tokens, not in the form of waiting for big owners to then put them on the blockchain, securitize them, lock them into some sort of custodial, figure out what the regulatory framework is to make that happen, and then make that available in, uh, on the blockchain in the form of a token. We've seen how long it's taken them. We've had that promise for 10 plus years. 12, 13 years, nothing's happened. So we're now at the prep, you know, we're right now at the genesis of bringing all of those assets as synthetic form available to anybody that wants to invest. I'm in, you know, I'm in Nigeria. I want to buy real estate uh, in New York. Today, I can buy a synthetic token that represents the value of a square foot in New York. Um, I am interested in buying a Tesla share. I want to buy a Tesla share, but I can't get access to the NASDAQ because I don't have an S a social security ID number. So I can buy a synthetic token that's a representation of the value of a Tesla share. So I can buy into that. All sorts of things like that are beginning to happen. And that to me is the real exciting element. And you're seeing at the same time, we're talking about NFTs. NFTs as JPEGs are just the beginning. These JPEGs are going to become dynamic. They're going to change. You can buy a ticket to an NBA game today. That ticket to one single game has a single value. It's pre the game. You buy it. You can get coupons in that through 
delivery to that NFT that you own. You can have post-game results. So after the game, it becomes a collectible where you see the MVP of that game, the scores of those players, the seat number that you had, the date that it was. That stays alive, and you can update that throughout the game, and it can be cryptographically verified as that one single ticket that was in B9 at, on the 12th of January in, you know, in San Antonio, Texas, or whatever it was, right? At the game between San Antonio and Golden Gate Warriors, whatever it was, but you automatically have that. And so all of these assets are gonna become immediately tradable to anybody that has a value in wanting to be a part of that and, and purchasing that. So there are so many permutations. There are so many opportunities in terms of jobs, in terms of wealth creations, in terms of evangelists, true believers that are in this industry, really trying to engage and create a new, clean, transparent, independent system that allows us as newcomers into the economy to generate wealth and not always be, you know, in front of a, a brick wall where we have to fill out 500,000 forms to engage, at least enter into the game and play along in that field where we still have to then, once we've got onto the table, to then work our way up into a, a huge, huge barrier of entry and, and in order to get there where it's all secured and encumbered with all these different walls and processes. So I think it's the most exciting time to be alive and the best industry to be in, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> no, no, I, I, your, your enthusiasm for it, um, I, I, I can feel it through the screen. So uh, I, I, I love the passion about it. And, and I, I think one of the really interesting points you bring up is that we don't, you know, people are kind of waiting for this like singularity point of like, oh, okay, everything is going to be on chain. And, and I think you bring up a really great point that we don't necessarily have to get to that point. What's going to happen is if there's enough value to be captured by the ability to be that middleman and create that synthetic asset on chain and, and be that middle custodian, then that's going to happen until we get to the point where we have the infrastructure in place for any kind of, you know, whether it's a company wants to just, you know, you know, uh, do their IPO and kind of, you know, uh, do like an IPO slash ICO and have it kind of regulated to be on chain or, or people want to kind of uh, have real world assets come on chain. Like there's going to be this transition period where people are going to be able to create businesses out of being that middleware and being kind of a centralized custodian because there's still so many other value so so much other value created just by bringing it on chain that we don't actually have to get to this point where everybody is being the single person adding these things on chain uh, in order to get all that value capture. So, so I think I think you bring up a really great point there. Yeah, and, and you look at the industry. I mean, we have so many different blockchains, right? We've got a lot of block space out there, if we call it. Uh, we've got a lot of developers that are super creative. We've got, we need more user experience designers. We need front-end designers that can help build a great user experience to get bigger adoption. This industry has been built up on a series of sprints, not, it's not a marathon. It's a series of sprints. We work and build up. Once we identify a trend, we all go into that trend. We saw that in the NFT. And the first movers have a significant advantage, um, you know, from CryptoPunks to the, you know, the BAYCs and et cetera, right? In DeFi, from Uniswap to Aave, they had a unique advantage because they were first mover. But then you saw OpenSea to Rarables, right? And you saw these, all these movements happen 
where first movers have advantage, but we have so many new first moving opportunities and we have those opportunities on multiple different chains. And it's a, it, you know, I mean, yeah, Amazon didn't turn up overnight and, and disrupt the whole book industry. They changed the whole game and it took time to do so. And I think we are going to have our time in the market bringing more and more assets in the form of tokens and make those available to the whole wide world and everybody, not just the select few that, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could not agree more. Um, and, and I really appreciate the, the, the thoughtful response there, uh, Stefan. Um, I, I, I would love to pose that same question um, to uh, Ms. Elsa Shi from uh, Bitmetis. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, uh, being in this kind of, uh, you know, infrastructure, NFT kind of metaverse niche, uh, how do you think you guys are positioned as like a, a, a Web3 company to be able to bring disruption to uh, Web2 and, and some kind of Web2 experiences that you think may be able to compete? Hi, uh, thanks for the invitation of, uh, of BitMedis and me. And uh, it's really an honor to speak with uh, so uh, so many amazing speakers and uh, um, I think this question is very interesting that how Web3 is uh, to, to bring disruptions to Web2. Uh, first of all, let me introduce our pro project Bitmetis. We are building a cross-game infrastructure to provide efficient, secure, and interoperable identity solutions for the whole blockchain game uh, ecosystem because we focus on the blockchain games uh, sector. So I will answer this question from the perspective of gaming. Um, according to the data, Americans under the age of uh, 35 uh, spend more than one hour a day on playing computer games, this time surpassing the sum of sports and uh, the reading time which means that games are really important to us because we can, I think we can express our emotions freely without social contact in real life. And uh, we also can experience different lives while learning and, learning and growing with games. But uh, uh, we know that the centralized um, developing or the distribution methods of Web2 games have many fundamental um problems or, or flaws uh, uh, nowadays, uh, such as um, it just happened the day before yesterday in China, uh, in 24th January, the Blizzard games, World of Warcraft, uh, Hearthstone, and other seven big games, they just, uh, uh, the, the, the whole national servers will be of, uh, officially suspended in China. So which will, which is the biggest shutdown in gaming history. Recording, uh, regarding these uh, kind of suspension, players are not only um, really disappointed and upset, but also they will concern about the ownership of their uh, own assets and accounts. So, so I think this kind of uh, similar problems or situations will continue to happen in in Web two game world. So. Um, can Web3 bring about some fundamental changes? Uh, I, I think uh, uh, it will happen uh, because in re recent years, blockchain technology has developed fast and uh, um, we started to realize that some of the properties of blockchain technology and Web3 are interesting when applied to uh, gaming. So 
um, um, these uh, there are some merits um, which uh, I think will bring the disruptions to the whole Web two gaming world, such as for the players, the in game assets, NFT assets with which uh, histories uh, guarantee the digital property rights uh, for the gamers, and uh, the real gamers and also can participate in the whole developing or the distribution direction, the development direction of the games, uh, which means the gamers will be the true owner of the, of the whole game. And for the developer side, so in blockchain games, the creator economy is uh, will be improved because creators can retain much more value than before. And besides that, uh, I think in the crypto model, there will be more opportunity to um, to monetize players for the developer side. So that's why I think uh, it will truly happen. Uh, there will be some uh, uh, disruption and fundamental changes to the whole uh, gaming world. Um, that's all. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I think that was fascinating. I, I think we hear a lot about the games being developed and, and we hear a lot about kind of the, the blockchain infrastructure level and we don't hear enough about the middleware that's going to help create this interoperability. So so I, thank you also for, for coming on and, and chatting a little bit about uh, some of the things you're seeing that are going to help us get to where we want to uh, as far as the middleware. Um, so last up for our leading projects, uh, we, we have Ivan Lin, the, the founder of Wave, and, and I would love to, to kind of pose that same question to you. Uh, is how, how do you, you know, as an infrastructure provider and as an NFT, uh, you know, as being part of kind of the NFT industry, how do you kind of think Web3 is positioned to bring uh, disruption to kind of the Web2 gaming space? Cool, cool. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so long story short, there, there is a reason why uh, we created... Uh, a wave, which is a web two music platform. Um, I speak as a musician myself. Started as a, a classical um, pianist. Um, got very lucky to get into edge video gaming world around fifteen years ago. Started as the production assistant for the Final Fantasy original soundtrack production. And uh, one day, when we were in the studio, uh, there was a piano there. And uh, I started to uh, walk around in the green room and the green studio. Uh, and the pianist who was supposed to uh, record for the uh, soundtracks uh, wasn't able to make it. So the producer was like, so Ivan, there's a piano over there. Why don't you play a few tunes and make some noise and try to, uh, try to, uh, Play some music. So I, I went on and played the entire movement of Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto, which is one of the most iconic uh, concerti in the uh, history. And at the time, I didn't know that on the other side, in Tokyo, uh, Yoko Shimamura, who wrote this music for Street Fighter uh, and Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts, was there listening to the whole thing while I was warming up. And they were like, oh, why don't you uh, go on and be the pianist and record for the soundtrack for yourself? So. You know, I started to get into this community in the video gaming world uh, uh, more, more or less by accident. And, and uh, there was a success, uh, successful production, move on to uh, Kingdom Hearts, uh, Legend of Zelda, eventually be the uh, music director of Assassin's Creed uh, Symphony World Tour, and noticed that uh, how important communities and how unique 
uh, this will be able to provide a, a bunch of opportunities uh, out there, but also got really frustrated about uh, how music business is being uh, conducted uh, as a music creator and also seeing that there are, there are so many, uh, we talk about middlemen, we talk about the party uh, in between creators and uh, consumers. So uh, th 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 that was the, uh, the idea about creating wave, uh, empowering artists um, by giving them an additional choice where they'll be able to host their music publicly by themselves. They'll be able to use uh, tokens and NFT as part of the uh, royalty program to always uh, have that uh, benefit when when there's uh, transactions for music NFTs and uh, for their audio asset. Um, so I, I think it's important that uh, for, for, for music creators, they're really good at uh, creating great music and to be a, a creative, but not necessarily um, fascinated about negotiating contracts and uh, 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 work on the music business part. So um, it becomes quite critical for, for the music company to have this kind of tool and service to be provided, which is lower bar, uh, much easier to access, that music creators would be able to uh, focus on what they are really good at, which is creating uh, a music and to use the service. Like right now we do have like GarageBand, right? Uh, you will be able to create music in your uh, bathroom. Billie Eilish uh, two years ago won several Grammys by uh, producing an album in her uh, bedroom. So we, we really start to see uh, how easy it is to produce music. But after spending hours and hours uh, to have your mastering done, it's only the beginning. You have to work with publishers, distributors, you have to work with uh, royalties, you have to work with uh, a bunch of agencies in order to get your music uh, out there. And it's really old-fashioned. It's like it's almost like a uh, hundred years ago when you were about to call, make a call from New York to Boston. There's this kind of like in the middle, there's an operator trying to wire you uh, to be connected to the other party. And that's more of like how music is being cut right now. And you know, music travels internationally. So uh, different countries, different cities will have different regulations and different agencies that you have to register, you have to go through. So it's not necessarily comfortable and uh, convenient for, um, for musicians and creators to, to be out there to handle all the, uh, the, the, the businesses. And that's why uh, in terms of Web3 and the technology blockchain becomes really critical and essential where, um, uh, these services will be able to be uh, provided and also to be a uh, democratizing uh, ownership that uh, revenue, copyright, uh, uh, commissions will be a return back to music creators to really empower uh, them and to have them focus on what they're really good at. Uh, right now I'm traveling in Asia because uh, coming from video gaming world, uh, we've been talking to a bunch of really great uh, anime and video gaming music creators and composers. And you guys know that uh, Assassin's Creed uh, this year has been nominated at Grammy Awards. It's, it's actually the first time in the history where a video gaming soundtrack is uh, nominated in uh, a acknowledged uh, mainstream uh, music award. So there's a lot to do. Uh, we love to work with artists. Uh, now we, we are working with Ayoko Shimamura, who wrote the music for Final Fantasy to be on the platform and many more. So. Uh, we wanted to open the gate to music creators because Wave is a pretty much music-focused uh, music platform. So we wanted to work with as many artists as we can 
and to really uh, leverage um, by working with great uh, talents uh, throughout the world. Awesome. Um, that was that was incredibly insightful. Uh, I, I, I think the music kind of NFT space is one that everybody kind of has a really close eye on and just kind of knows that uh, there's so many intermediaries in the process that there's just a lot of value to be created and and kind of given to the right parties and not, you know, uh, middlemen. Um, so very excited for Wave and uh, the, the kind of uh, music NFT landscape. Uh, so uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for hopping on and, and, and chatting with us, Ivan. Uh, unfortunately, we would love to kind of sit here and, and ask more questions to all of our leading projects. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't think we have enough time to go for another one. Um, so at all of our leading projects, you know, we had Alex from Rarible, we had Stefan from Laguna, Josh Frazier from Origin, um, Elsa Shi from Bitmetis, uh, Ivan Lin, who you just heard from, from Wave, and uh, Sandy Carter uh, from Unstoppable Domains. Thank you all so much, all of our leading projects. Uh, please do check out all, all of our leading projects that just had a chance to speak. Uh, follow our uh, speakers and, and their projects as well. Uh, th these are some you know, some, some of the most profound projects in the space. So uh, really appreciate your guys' time and, and to, to come and chat with us. Thanks for having us. Of course. Thank uh, so, you. Thank you, guys. Um, so before we move on to our crypto venture section, uh, we did want to hit our first quiz question. Um, I was told I, I got to make sure I hit this one. Um, so our first question, and, and whoever will be uh, the first person to answer this question uh, under the uh, Bitmart, uh, the, the the main, um, it, it is uh, the first pinned tweet that we have shared by Bitmart Exchange. Um, and the question is, how many new tokens were listed on Bitmart for spot only in 2022? I'll repeat it again. How many new tokens were listed on Bitmart spot in 2022? So the answer, whoever is the first to answer that question uh, is going to be a winner of 100 USDT. Um, I think I can think of a few things to use 100 USDT for right now. I'm sure a lot of you guys can as well. So first one to get that answer correctly uh, under the first tweet pinned is going to win 100 USDT. Um, so, uh, But I, I think now is a great time to move on and transition uh, to our crypto venture section. I think this is one everybody is really excited about. We have an awesome lineup. Uh, so we have James Perillo, uh, a general partner at Figment Capital. We have uh, Peter Yang, a managing director at Fenbushi Capital. We have Maria Chalk, head of gaming and metaverse uh, at Republic Crypto. We have Kenny Wu, who's an investment director at Amurgo Ventures. Uh, we have Eric Bai, who's a managing director at Sefolio Ventures. And then lastly, we have Paul Solnetsev. Uh, who's a head? Who's the head of the Coin Telegraph Accelerator? Um, so, if everybody, if you could just feel free to to request to hop up on stage, we'd love to have you guys up here. Oh, and then we also have Miss uh, Lee Fan, who is a, not only a partner at Sefolio Ventures but also the Chief Strategy Officer at Bitmart as well. Uh, she's going to come in and and help me out uh, moderating some of this crypto venture section. So, I'd love to to hand it off to 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 Lee, um, and and feel free to take it from here. Thanks, Ishan. Hi, everyone. Really glad to be here. And uh, thanks for the patience. And uh, today we have some really exciting uh, VCs here speaking with us. And I'm really excited about this because they're top-notch VC panelists. And I have a lot of questions to ask on behalf of our audience. Now, since there are seven of us, um, let's make it more interactive. Um, hot takes are definitely welcome and even encouraged. 
And if you're, uh, if you're on mute for too long, I might just have to uh, call on you. Um, so maybe, maybe let's start with the first question. Let me, let me try to make sure everyone, all the speakers are on. Great, I see Peter, Kenny. I think we might be missing a few. Uh, James, is James on? Yeah, hey. Um, hey, James. I'm Velvet Milkman. Docs. <laughs> okay, <laughs> got it, got it. And then uh, I think we have Paul and Eric and Maria. Just give it one more second. Well, why don't we why don't we get started? Um, I think others are kind of gathering as we speak. I know we're kind of in the middle of the segment or running a little bit late. Um, so let me kick off with the first question. You know, we've had a recent rally lately in the last few days, but despite the rally, you know, the last couple months of 2022 has been very eventful and very unprecedented. Now, given the the uh, the kind of the turmoil as well as all the bankruptcy filings, which we've been expecting for a little bit. Um, what are some of the trickle down domino effects that you think is taking place right now? And how will that inf affect the crypto ventures community? And please use both, you know, your own portfolio companies, example, as, as well as projects that you hope to invest in. And James, why don't why don't we kick it off with you? Oh, OK. Uh, thanks, Lee. Um, so, hey, everybody, I'm James Perillo, uh, managing partner at Pigment Capital. Uh, we're an early stage uh, blockchain venture fund that focuses primarily on uh, investing in blockchain infrastructure because that's what we're best at. We're more of like an operator investor in the space um, because we spun out of Figma Inc. Um, yeah, so I, I, there's a lot of ways to go and directions to go with this. I'll, I'll, I'll opt for like the optimistic uh, perspective um, just because we are kind of seeing a little bit of like a a little boost in, in the prices and so in sentiment and in people's, uh, you know, spirits, which is great. Um, you know, I think what we saw was like in December, it was like really we were pretty heavily oversold a little bit. Like it was pretty dark days there for a little while. And, um, you know, we saw a lot of uncertainty. I think there's still uncertainty in the markets. There's definitely still some, you know, macro issues that we're going to have to deal with and that we're going to have to face and, and think about. And there's certainly some bankruptcies that look like they have either they're on the horizon um, or, you know, we've seen a few uh, this week and last week uh, that, are, that are that are big names in the space. Um, and ultimately, like what's been, I think, the most difficult for me to watch over the last, I would say, like 12 months to nine months has been the impact on retail investors. Um, you know, it starts with Luna. Um, which was like a heavy Luna, like, like it was a heavy, a heavy holder and, and uh, investor in, in, in Luna. Um, people lost their life savings. Uh, we're seeing something similar with FTX. But, you know, at the same time, with a lot of the, um, I guess we'll say like a lot of the contagion, but not all of it has been um, a little bit washed out. Um, there become, becomes an opportunity to like kind of see narratives uh begin to spring up that are that are more i would say web uh crypto and crypto and blockchain native um we're going to start to see like a focus on mpc wallets it's been about two years um in, in the making and development maybe a year and a half in development where mpc wallets could potentially be decentralized and be available for retail investors which i think is going to be great self-custody is going to kind of go into like its next stage of um, adoption. Uh, I think that's really exciting. I think liquid staking is seeing a really like an emergence. And we're starting to also see, you know, signs of life on the retail side. Uh, you know, uh, 
the L1 thesis, people were a little wondering whether it was going to, uh, whether it's time had, time had passed. And what we're seeing now is like, there will probably there will probably always be some sort of appetite for L1 theses. Uh, Aptos is pumping right now uh, with really, uh, which is an interesting one. It's not in our not in our portfolio. Canto is uh, pumping right now, not in our portfolio. Um, but you know, I think we're we're going to see a bunch of mini narratives and mini trends, and I think these are going to lead to like just I think a very interesting 2023. Um, as like the market and as the industry tries to kind of come to grips with some of the contagion still spilling out. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, there is real tech here. There are very interesting, uh, innovations in the middleware, uh, especially in middleware, um, that are, that are being built applications that are being built. And I think it's going to really like kind of be a, a really amazing time when we look back, uh, in a few years, when we think about 2023 and like sort of the, the Phoenix rising from the ashes. That's great. That's great. Do we do we have um, the rest of the speaker on as well? Anyone would like to chime in on that? I guess I, I can, uh, you know, uh, give a little bit of opinion of mine as well. So great. thank you, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of fallout, um, over the different cycles, we have seen fraudulent activities as well as, um, you know, behaviors similar to what FTX and Genesis and uh, say like the other funds as well uh, where, where they have collapsed and but for this cycle I would say um, the impact is much more bigger in terms of both geography and, and the number of people it, it affects whereas previous cycles um, these collapses are siloed and usually in towards early stage, but for this cycle, you know, we, we have seen a lot of more later stage uh, companies where they have been through several cycles and they have gone under. So uh, this time I, I, I feel like it, it definitely hurts a lot more than before. But in terms of fallout, I don't think we should see any more direct immediate impact, at least for the primary market. Um, usually for the venture, markets, uh, we do see typically a, a six-month lag in terms of uh, prices as well as activity. So uh, one way you can kind of paralyze, parallel this is uh, we saw the top of market uh, in uh, about a year ago, but for valuations and, and raises, they did not calm down until, say, like towards last summer, so to speak. But uh, and, and for earlier stage, uh, startups, they're even less impacted uh, in terms of uh, uh, their build process. Um, you know, although valuation and, and the size of the raises have gone down dramatically. And so for me, I, I don't think, um, you know, there will be a, a, a lot of fallout uh, continue, continue going forward, especially with the amount of uncertainty. But in terms of, say, the, the project we support, uh, we, we still kind of continue to, to expect a, a lot of good companies to, to come out, uh, especially, you know, if, if you parallel uh, this current crash to the dot-com bubble, you know, there, there were a lot of internet companies that existed before, uh, but it's only after the dot-com bubble where we found Amazon, Google, and, you know, the tech giants we see today. Um, although, you know, I, I do believe one component that I, I will be focusing a lot more on is the impact of regulation 
So before, you know, the FTX left, in the U.S., we have uh, DCCPA uh, going through, which um, is much more favorable to to uh, existing centralized exchanges. Um, but, you know, uh, now with, with uh, FTX and, and its fallout, um, that I, I think uh, will, will eventually be amended. And I, I believe uh, we will see some sort of more regular uh, legislation coming through this year. Um, in, in addition to that, investor will have much higher standards, I would say. Uh, for the later stage uh, investors, we, we are seeing them kind of pulling out of uh, blockchain businesses or companies they've invested in because they're kind of afraid of headline risk. And for the earlier stage companies and investors, uh, we're seeing a lot more asking for audited financial, especially by big fours. So I think um, the, how it will play out over the next year, I, I think it, it will be interesting to see whether startups, you know, shell out more money for uh, meeting investor demands, whether it's from like a, a audit or financial perspective or in terms of uh, product market fit or, or revenue. Um, or, you know, they could choose the other route of not launching uh, or building their, their startup within U.S. and they can, you know, move to offshore or, or other under um, continents. Uh, where there's less regulatory scrutiny. So, um, um, you know, there, there are multiple ways about going that. So we either see more startups in other countries or, you know, we, we see much higher, uh, better practices for, for startups in general. So that's kind of my, my expectation for the, the next year. So. Thanks, Peter. Now, you mentioned something uh, on due diligence, which is perfect lead into my next question. Let's talk about diligence in in crypto uh, ventures. Now coming from traditional uh, tech VC, I've always found crypto investing diligence a little bit challenging, partly because the projects are much earlier in nature, pre-revenue generally, you know, with uh, not everything built out, uh, but also because a lot of projects are behind management teams with um, pseudonames, et cetera. Um, how do you guys go about doing diligence into these startups that you guys invest in and, um, you know, feel free. I, I think, Paul, you come from the accelerator side, so would love to kind of hear your your view on this. And then would also love to have Eric and Ken chime in as well. Hi there. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me well? Perfect. Crystal clear, Paul. Hi, good. Uh, thanks very much for having me. It's, um, it's a great discussion. Uh, so uh, in terms of how we, how we approach due diligence, uh, so uh, we do have, like, three fundamental parts that we are looking at. And these are basically the product, the market, and, and, the, and the team. And uh, when we're looking at a potential candidate to the acceleration program, we need to get comfortable that the product that uh, the guys are trying to build or like envisaging to build uh, can actually solve someone's, someone's problems, apart from the founder's problem of not being able to fundraise or to uh, or to like raise money, and uh, we try to avoid uh, like projects that um, do like blockchain solutionism, where where they where like the founders are trying to plug in blockchain solution uh, and crypto solution to things that don't really need them or that don't really solve uh, real problems. So I guess from the from the product side, we just want to make sure that someone really needs it and uh, there is like a, a problem, a re a, like a, re a real problem that 
um, a project uh, is going to be able to solve. Then from the, from the market perspective, uh, we of course want to work with projects that tend to work on, on large markets uh, as any other investor would. And the, the specifics in crypto in relation to this is that since the, like with the, with the single digit penetration of almost all products in crypto, uh, if you have this sort of vision and belief that Web3 can somewhat disrupt traditional business models and Web2 web or whatsoever, uh, if you look at the markets, so the markets would look generally promising and fed simply because very low penetration. If you in, invest at a stage where the penetration is as low and you have a good product, then uh, the, it's a, it, it, it has potential to grow as opposed to like mature industry, for example, I, I don't know, cellular networks where you have high penetration. Um, and the third like, fundamental part is uh, basically the team. So we just need to get comfortable that given that there is a product that can actually solve someone's problems uh, and there's a large market for that, for that product, we need to be comfortable that the team is able to deliver and they have, to, they have sufficient intelligence, energy and, and discipline to, to execute. So ideally, you would want to have founders with previous with previous experience uh, in, in startups, uh, not always possible, of course. Uh, but uh, uh, so going back to your point, so three main points that we look at is product market, and, uh, and the team. And uh, like in more practical aspects, uh, we work with projects that already have their MVPs or like demo products or whatsoever. Uh, so something clickable and uh, something that we, that, uh, that we can test. And uh, what we normally look at at this stage is we're looking at the traction of the product. So basically any metrics uh, about how the products are used, like users, transactions, uh, whatsoever. And uh, we just want to make sure that there is a demand for this, for this uh, product, that users that uh, test this product like it, and so on and so on. Uh, so that's basically the key thing that, uh, that uh, we are looking at. Uh, Kenny and Eric, would you guys love to like to chime in a little bit? Eric, I'm going to call on you now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you, Lee. So thank you, Paul, for the sharing, which is very insightful. I think we have <clears throat> similar view regarding the market sector, for sure, that, you know, we hold the same position that uh, we're thinking about how to bring more Web2 users to the Web3. And for example, that we are looking at the fiat wallet, gaming, and DeFi side, and where we think uh, those uh, infrastructure or the sectors can bring more users, and which we take more uh, serious look on, on those uh, projects. And uh, second, that we think about, you know, how to make the Web3 or crypto space more sustainable. And uh, for example, there's uh, like current um, projects on the DeFi side, they bring the real world yield, for example, like uh, rates or rates in the US or US bond treasury uh, yield into the DeFi world to create the fundamental yield in the DeFi space. And then uh, based on that can create a synthetic X, uh, assets, so on and so forth. So, and thirdly is uh, we also looked at the team for sure. And the, the different approaches because we invest in a lot of projects that we invest or incubate are pre Seed. So therefore, uh, uh, recently we launched uh, 
BIMAR Inside Folio uh, scholarship and uh, to uh, attract the talents in different like prestigious schools in the market and to uh, uh, to brainstorm and to learn and also to work in different projects and um, as uh, based on the you know the uh, four months six months like rotation and learning process we can uh, spot the talents and that had the potential and in the market and we can you know uh, further uh, guide them how uh, how to solve the problems in the market and then uh, to further invest and incubate and so those are the uh, things that we are looking in the market uh, I, I would like to add one my observation as well so uh, I think if the market, you know, stay as uh, status quo as now, and there are, will be a lot of projects that that, that run out of their runway uh, in the next six months. So, uh, so therefore, uh, uh, in terms of the supporting the project, and what, what we are thinking is, uh, we really need to help the project to survive in the bear market right now, and to. Um, to really cut their costs, and we are always like emphasizing this uh, with our portfolio. And uh, uh, last but not least, and um, I, I I observe that a lot of markets are uh, like investment side are very slowing down right now, and a lot of uh, like. Um, Investor in the U.S. and Asia, they are hold a little bit, and uh, uh, if they are would like to invest, uh, they would like to invest something first of all in the fundamental side and uh, like the infrastructure, and secondly, they are looking for something that with the like um, with the revenue, for example, like staking or regular exchange or security audit firm, and uh, if those sectors are still are still like um, uh, growing, uh, even though that's in a bear market right now. Thanks, Eric. And I think you hit on something that's really crucial is the runway of these projects and these, um, you know, uh, deals. And it goes back to the trade off between profitability and growth, which is very often what we focus on in, in the Web2 space. Um, now, Kenny, maybe I can ask you a slightly related question, which is for these pre-revenue projects and early stage projects um, in the crypto space, how do you think about valuation? How do you think about when you're writing your term sheets, etc.? Uh, yes, uh, Lee, thanks for the question. So regarding the valuation part, um, because uh, most of the projects in the pre-C uh, or C-round stage, they're quite early. Um, so uh, in the Web3 world, also kind of lacking those kind of mechanism and criteria for investors to evaluate the uh, expected value uh, of each project. Um, but regarding the comparison and revaluation, uh, some components or method we are actually using is, uh, first of all, to try to find some comparables and uh, compare each project based on the uh, tractions. Um, because we believe in digital space, tractions is always uh, the key. And uh, for especially for like GameFi and SocialFi and a lot of like tools projects, um, how do you uh, onboard more users and also retain those users in your community is actually the key for the growth of each projects. So I believe uh, by comparing those kind of tractions with each project and you will actually get a, a sense uh, about like what kind of valuations um, it will be created uh, for each project. And secondly,
Hi, everyone. Is everyone getting back on here? Third time's the charm. This is the, uh, this is testing uh, the loyalty our listeners have. This is great. <laughs> we are so back. <laughs> Thanks, James. I see, I see Peter's back. I see, uh, I think we, uh, Kenny, I think Kenny was in the middle of sharing some great insights. And Maria, I think we're just gathering. Oh, look, Kenny's back. Great. Hi, Kenny. Sorry, we we had to cut you off. Unfortunately, we'll write to Mr. Twitter and have them get this uh, fixed. Now, Kenny, before before we got jobs, you were you were you were talking about valuation and the different terms and the structures and would love it if you can kind of finish your thoughts on there. Yeah. So, um, as I just mentioned, um, basically, when we consider the valuation, uh, one of the key criteria we're going to uh, focus on is attractions. And uh, secondly, we're going to focus on more on sustainabilities. So uh, this actually, I believe, is one of the key effects um, due to those kind of FTX and Genesis uh, incidents. So right now, uh, as Eric also mentioned, Peter also mentioned, uh, right now, runway and also the ability to bootstrap the projects by themselves and to have the capability of generating uh, their own cash flow is actually the key. So from my own uh, point of view, uh, like more like a 2B or 2C, uh, 2B, 2C business model will be uh, very effective in this market because those kind of projects um, can actually generate uh, revenue and some cash flow in the bearish market to make sure they can uh, be more sustainable. And in one in the bullish market, those kind of projects can onboard more uh, users to their communities and also to um, uh, gener- generate even more uh, revenue and profit in the long terms. So uh, I also saw uh, BitMedis was there uh, was um, so uh, basically, BitMedis they are also more like a two B or two C um, platform, which actually they can onboard a lot of tractions and users, and also they have uh, they're developing their own uh, wallet, so they can actually uh, generate a more sustainable and stable cash flow um, to other business customers as well. And right now, they're also in. Uh, your portfolio as well. Um, so in summary, I believe um, in a uh, bearish market, uh, still like a good project is always a good project. But regarding the valuation side, we'll focus more on the traction side and also the sustainability, uh, which basically means uh, how to generate their own cash flow uh, in the long term. Thank you, Kenny. That was great. And especially uh, given that you had to break up your thoughts into two separate uh, Twitter talks. Um, now let's switch side a little bit and from the investing side into the developer side. Um, I would love to address this to Maria if, if, if you're if you're back on and also James. Um, you know, what are some advice that you would give to entrepreneurs and developers looking to build in the Web three and Meta space, um, Metaverse space? Uh, Maria and James. And if Maria's not back on, James. Would love to have you take the lead on this one. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can 
I'll talk about the Web3 space. Um, Metaverse is a little bit maybe outside of like where we, uh, we generally yeah, I invest. Yeah, I tailored that part for Maria. So you, 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 okay. can, have the, <laughs> you can have the Web3 space. Cool. Um, yeah. So I, I think in the Web3 space with builders, you know, I mean, obviously there's like there's two types. I, I think the first is um, folks that have been in the space for a really long time that have built, that have reputations of uh, having shipped. Um, and, you know, those reputations come, I think, with, with, with you know, I, I think some clout. And so ultimately it'll be easier for those teams, you know, especially in this type of market to raise. Um Secondly, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of earlier teams, uh, maybe new entrepreneurs that are trying for their first time. Uh, my uh, my recommendation is a, a few things, you know, um, know what you're good at and hire for what you're not. Um, don't try to do everything at once. Um, don't try to be everything for everyone. You know, CEO and CTO are, are two very different roles uh, that require very different skill sets quite often. Um, some people can do it, uh, but don't try to do everything yourself. Um, you are a talented individual who perhaps has an idea or is joining a team. Um, and you're going to be able to add a lot of value. Some of which is like, you know, innate that you have right now, other skills you're going to develop and build over, you know, the course of the next few years as you're, as you're working with this team, um, you'll be asked to do things that you've never done before. Um, they'll be challenging. You'll find out what you like. You'll find out what you're good at. You'll find out what you don't like. We'll find out what, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, we find out quite often what we're not good at as well. Um, you know, try to improve, but ultimately, like, really, the goal here is to not be everything for everyone. Um, do what you're best at. Um, work with people that you uh, respect, um, that make you better every day, that push you um, and motivate you uh, to work really hard. Um, work as a team. Um, it's incredibly important to work together and row in the same direction, um, not always against each other. Um, and lastly, make sure that you have like all the pieces of the puzzle. Um, you know, you'll oftentimes like, especially in older, in, in, in different cycles, um, you see maybe it's an overly academic team um, that's never built anything before, uh, or it's a team that consistently builds. And I'm, I'm back too. Um, hi, everyone. Thanks so much for the patience. Um, I think before we just got cut off for the third time, uh, James, are you back on? Yeah, hey, I'm so here. You are giving amazing insight. So I, I would hate it for, <laughs> for us to not continue. Uh, but given, given the time, maybe we can, we can uh, have you wrap up and then go to the last question before the last session. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think I was just, I don't remember what I was saying, but I think the last thing I was going to say about it was like, um, you know, in this new market, every, every cycle has like a, a different sort of focus as we get closer and closer, I think, to what, um, what you see in traditional venture. Um, and so, you know, what we're going to likely see more and more frequently is like, yes, this is cool technology yes, we are still looking for like innovative, disruptive technologies that are going to be brought through blockchain, through decentralization. Um, however, um, product market fit is becoming more important. Uh, like you'll hear value accrual a lot or like what's the, 
what's the go to market. Um, and these are things that maybe in the past earlier or the last two years were not things that teams had to think about um, when they were launching a blockchain or an interoperability protocol or a DeFi protocol, but they're becoming more and more important um, as the industry matures. Um, so must the strategies um, and they must look more full, fully fleshed. And, and this market where, you know, it's not just idea guys now because it's not full, full market, it's fair market. And so making sure that you have, when you're choosing your, like you're choosing your founders, uh, you're choosing your employees, you're choosing the people that you're going to be working with. So choose wisely um, and strategically um, and, and make sure that the people that you're working alongside and spending late hours with and, you know, skipping sometimes really important life events for um, are people that are going to be there for you, are going to be there um, through thick and thin, um, and also at the same time are going to complement you and your skill set um, and bring a full package uh, or have a vision for what a full package could potentially look like even if everything isn't fleshed out on the very beginning, um, you want people there that are going to be there and that you're going to want to take that journey with. Um, so, so choose wisely. Great insight. Great insight. Thank you so much. Now, uh, with respect to time, let me just ask this one question to every single one of our speakers from the crypto venture space. Let's take out our, take out your crystal ball. Where do you think we go from here in 2023? And Peter, Eric, and James would love to have, and Kenny would love to have you get each give a brief take, just a very brief take. Well, I guess I can kind of continue. Uh, and yeah, for me, like I mentioned previously, I think regulation is going to play a very big role. Uh, but to what degree, I'm still kind of not certain. Uh, I do feel like probably something starting with the stable coin. Um, regulation probably will be a first and you know over in Europe we're seeing Mika uh, and, and in the UK there's also separate legislation going on so I think how those play out will in turn affect how you know the, the industry in terms of um, compliance as well as uh, what projects people are, are willing to build and how to build them more specifically so in terms of the different verticals uh, I you know, I, I assume we will go through phases of um, growth and, and bust as well. But in terms of standards, I, I was assumed over the next year and hopefully into the cycles, investors will have much more demand uh, for sustainable business models as well as transformative business models. So that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. Thank you, Peter. Uh, Eric? Yeah, thank you. So, um, yeah, uh, I would like to um, share one sector that worth wanting the attention, that is the LSD sector. And uh, like you, we know that Shanghai upgrade of Ethereum will be happen uh, in March. And based on that, there will be a lot of like uh, derivatives based on the on the on Ethereum and uh, happening in the market right now, which was wanting uh, attention of everyone. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Uh, Kenny, if you're still on, would love to get your take. Uh, yeah, I think for 2023, uh, a few focus. Um, first one, as I mentioned, tractions. Um, also, uh, as everybody mentioned, regulations and securities. 
um, how to make the um, Web3 space more decentralized, more secured, and uh, uh, also more compliant will be the key. So I believe something uh, more in the infrastructure and layer two side will be the key focus. Great. And last but not least, James. Man, a lot of regulation here. Uh, a lot of regulation bulls uh, <laughs> in crypto. What an interesting group of yeah. ideas and thoughts. Uh, I would say uh, we got to scale. We're going to scale horizontally. We're going to scale ver like through app chains. Uh, we're going to scale vertically through L2s and L3s. We're going to scale vertically and horizontally through L3s that are application-specific roll-ups. Um, this is all going to be interoperable. It's going to be super complex. We're going to have incredible, interestingly, interesting interoperability protocols that are going to continue to push the boundaries of what we think is possible, particularly with ZK bridging, which is going to bring in an interesting component. Um, blockchain has been the lead investor in ZK technology and bringing it um, to where it is today. And so we'll continue to see ZK proliferation within blockchain, which will focus on both um, creating uh, more efficient blockchains, uh, more complex and like rich uh, data sets, um, and also hopefully uh, focus a little bit on privacy. Um, and so uh, regulatory, you can, you can be, regula you can be uh, regulatory compliant and private, um, which I think is something that we're really excited at looking at into. Uh, and then lastly, uh, something that we're really excited about um, is user experience and improving the user experience. Um, front ends, uh, account abstraction on Ethereum is going to be super incredible. Uh, take Keep an eye out for account abstraction um, and teams building wallets um, that are going to help users onboard the next, like onboard users. And so... Quite honestly, that's like what we invest in. That's what we think about. Scalability, interoperability, privacy, ZK tech, and user experience. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. That's what we're going to be looking for. Um, we have some announcements coming up. Figma Capital has some pretty cool announcements coming up over the next uh, few weeks. So keep an eye out. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to meeting you all in East Denver if you're there. Great. Thank you all very much. Um, we have a great great list of uh, VCs who spoke with us. And with that, why don't I turn it back to the host, uh, Ishan? I think we have one more session. Yeah, uh, yeah, thank you again. And, and, and uh, th this last section is a little bit on the shorter end. So I, I would love to also, you know, if some of our uh, venture partners and, and speakers are, are free, would love, would love to have you guys also chime in on our final section um, where we hit L1s and L2s. Uh, but before we do get to that, uh, we do have our second quiz question, um, and and just like we said at the beginning of, of our original space, um, the the first person to answer this question is going to uh, be able to win one hundred USDT. Uh, so uh, the 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 second question, the second quiz question that we have for the audience is uh, which quarter was Bitmart recognized by CoinGecko as a dark horse? Uh, again, which quarter was BitMart recognized by CoinGecko as a dark horse in the crypto space? Um, so again, if you look to, uh, if you go to the uh, main BitMart exchange Twitter, uh, you're going to see uh, one of the tweets where we introduce the space. And uh, over there, uh, you can go in and drop the answer. And the first person to drop the answer will win uh, 100 USDT. So... 
Um, but without further ado, it, it, it's been a long night, but we appreciate our partners for kind of staying on. Uh, we do want to hit this final section, which is L1s and L2s. Um, what, what, one of the kind of most important areas to kind of discuss. Um, so joining us, we have uh, Jasmine Wan, who is the co-founder of Sui World. Um, so Jasmine, if you could uh, kind of uh, request to speak so that we can bring you up here. And then we also have Chris who is the uh, global expansion manager at Conflux Network? Um, so if we could get uh, Jasmine and Chris on here, and uh, would also love to have uh, some of our venture partners up here as well to to kind of talk through some of these questions. So uh, we'll, we'll open up the floor to them as well. Um, so I see Jasmine. Thank you for hopping up here. Uh, I, I guess while uh, while Chris gets up here, we, we can just start with you. Um, so, uh, so as far as L1s and L2s, you know, uh, what factors do you anticipate that are going to uh, really contribute to the demand and utilization of uh, new blockchains, uh, new, newly emerging blockchains as uh, new L1s and L2s emerge? Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me. And this is Jasmine from Three World. We are the first CPAC community for Three system. Since last uh, September, we make bilingual content and build up the developer community, communities and uh, host some events. Um, for the question, uh, since Three has announced to launch the mainnet in quarter two, it reminds me of an, uh, the case about Solana and Terra. I remember one of the data for TVL in uh, last March, and Ethereum has more less than 15% of the whole TVL and Terra, maybe the second place, and uh, Solana is the third one. And why Terra has so much proportion of the whole TVL? That's because it has a 20% APY and it attracts many traditional VC and funds to invest on crypto fund, then they will invest on Anchor. So that the highlight of the case is if you can get nearly uh, one point zero point one percent of the traditional uh, funds, and it will have a huge impact for for the whole industry. And second case about Stablen on Sonana, it attracts many retail users. Um, so it uh, has grown rapidly. Uh, so for these two cases, I guess uh, the first factor is about you can get support from the traditional funds um, like uh, some famous and uh, well-known uh, big investors in traditional industry. Once you can uh, invest just a little bit on the crypto, then you can improve your TBL. And the second factor is about the retailer user. If you have the killer application, then you can attract the uh, TVL from retailer users. It will help a lot to for your whole blockchain. Yeah, that's the uh, two case two cases I like to share about the question. Uh, that was really awesome insight. Um, you know, I I personally have been pretty bullish on. Um, you know, some of these move-based uh, uh, 
you know, move language based uh, smart contract platforms. So uh, super excited for that. Um, so th- yeah, thank you for that insight. And, and especially coming from kind of the, the APEC community as well. Um, I, I'd love to pose that same question to, to Chris. I see we have Chris up here from Conflux. Um, I, I, I really want to hit that same question, which is like, what, what factors do you think are going to kind of contribute to the, the demand uh, for L1s? I, I really love the analogy of like, you know, uh, you know, blockchain cell block space, right? So, so where do you kind of see the demand for all of this new block space coming into to, to, you know, kind of the ecosystem? Where, where do you see the demand coming from? Hey, guys. Um, first of all, thank you for having me here today. And yeah. I, I, it's almost been a, a year since Conflux also listed on BitMart, and we're very happy about the partnership that we have. Um, I think there are so many different aspects when we talk about it, and I think today what I, I have been listening in, and regulation is a big part that we have been talking about, and many guests also agree on, and I think regulation is a very important factor for the next wave and also the upcoming years to shape this industry and see where it can be used for further adoptions in the future, regardless of it, if it's a layer one or a layer two. Um, that I can always share because Conflux is the um, yeah only publicly endorsed public blockchain here in, in, in China, where I am right now. Um, we, we, we see that throughout, we, we, Conflux has been launched since 2010. 22 but we have been starting uh, we've started to work on it since 2018 and it's it's been a while now right it's been five years and we've always wanted to be regulatory compliance and luckily we are because since last year we've seen major shifts within the landscape the regulatory landscape here in china um, to say what is allowed and what is not allowed with blockchain technology, because China has been endorsing blockchain technology itself um, as a permission blockchain since 2017 as well. And here, the regulatory policy is, okay, NFTs, so ERC-722s and ERC-1155s are fully compliant, but they need to be sold um, via the fiat currency, the RMB here, right? And wh- while this might be counterproductive for many layer ones or people who are using blockchain technology the way we're using it now, it also makes sense because, um, yeah, fiat currency or the digital RMB here is what more than 1 billion people use on a daily basis, especially here in China. Um, No one goes out with their wallets here anymore. Um, No one takes their passports with them or ID cards is just on their phone and they can do everything on their phone. Um, You go to an open market, you want to pay for something, it's via your mobile phone. And since last year of May, um, China has put out this regulation that, yeah, NFTs or or these non-fungible tokens are uh, can be used in China. And since then, we've been seeing a big shift from companies adopting this, the big companies, right? And most of them have been using permission blockchains, for example, Hyperledger Fabrics or other ones. And while this has been happening on Conflux Network, we have a more decentralized community 
um, that has been building up use cases. And since last year, we've grown from 20 local fully registered companies in China to now more than 150, um, w w including NFT marketplaces, including yeah, community builders or hackers, but also yeah, developer supporters. And we're seeing more and more big companies coming in and deploying NFTs on Conflux. For example, McDonald's, you have Oreo. And the latest one, which I'm very happy to announce, and it's also relative new news, is that Little Red Book, aka Xiaohongshu, um, China's Instagram with integrated Shopee functions, um, uh, with more than 150 million um, yeah, monthly active users, has integrated Conflux NFTs or the Conflux blockchain into their system. So people can actually show their NFTs on Conflux um, on their profile page. And I think this is one of the big steps towards scaling or, or utilizing the block space more and more is, is to partner up or have big companies with a lot of traffic to leverage, to leverage this blockchain technology that has been created since 2013, since the creation of Bitcoin. And so, yeah, an, another aspect is also that we, we need to onboard the developers quicker. And one of the, the, the 2C front ends also need to be easier. And I think, maybe, and I hope with MPC wallets, this can be a, um, yeah, more, more simplistic way to onboard people into the space. And ideally, people, yeah, shouldn't even notice a difference when they log into any DAP in the future um, when they compare to their Web2 experience, because that's what people are used to. And the whole paradigm shift from storing your key somewhere yourself and not losing them is just complicated for too many people or also maybe unnecessary for the majority of people in this world who just want to use this technology like the internet or like wiring some money. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I think that was some really great context. And I, I think the, the kind of theme there is like uh, friction reduction, right? Like we have so much friction in whether it's payment networks or markets, marketplaces and, and all these different areas. We have so much friction, so many layers. And I, I think that's one of the big things that's going to uh, create the demand and utilization of all this block spaces, like all of these specific areas where we can reduce a lot of this friction. Um, and I, I, I'd love to open that same question up to, to some of our other speakers. I, I see we still have uh, James from Figman here um, and, and Lee as well is like, where, where do you guys kind of see the, the demand for block space kind of uh, really coming from at the highest level, at least as we're looking at 2023? Okay, I, I, I think we might have lost them. Um, so I, I think we can move on to the kind of the second question that we had, which is, um, you know, uh, we, we saw 2022 kind of be this, uh, this year that we saw the, the kind of L2-22 meme uh, come in and, and really saw our way meme or meme the L2 uh, kind of narrative into existence. So um, I, I, I'd love to, to ask this question to, to Jasmine first, which is, uh, 
you know, what, what's kind of your opinion on uh, the the L3 narrative that we're starting to see? And, and we're seeing a lot more, you know, researchers come out and discuss the the opportunity for, you know, whether it's, you know, I, I think app chains can be a good equivalent or if you see kind of like uh, application specific L3s coming that are built on top of L2s. Um, how, how do you kind of kind of see the kind or and I, I guess for Jasmine, we can ask the question, but how do you see the modular versus um you know, monolithic uh, kind of blockchain system going. Okay, thank you. Actually, I don't know why it's layer three. Uh, I think it's a little bit tricky. And, um, you know, many builders are working on the layer two on Serum and optimistic maybe the one case. Um, but some layer two projects, they are actually very centralized like dydx it's i guess no difference from the ordinary cex so they will name themselves as a decent uh, uh, dex on chain uh, so there is concern about security about the layer two project and of course kvm is a uh is a hot topic recently and um, developers are trying to solve this solve this problem um, they may use some uh, not efficient ways uh, even with a combination with some hardware to solve this problem on Ethereum. Um so um, ZK will help to solve the uh, problem of the performance on the layer one of Ethereum. So we are definitely um, looking forward to some uh, more layer two solutions um, based on the layer one consensus layer. And actually, um, at the same time, move ecosystem after and three, they are another, um, they either head into another direction for this question. Uh, they are building another kind of layer one for everyone. And they have better scalability and better security based on the Moo programming language. Um, maybe the uh, in future we can see some projects as a bridge to combine the uh, consensus from layer one of Ethereum and the advantages of Moo language. Uh, maybe the Moo VM on Ethereum. So that's the uh, projects we are looking forward. And, I think, um, and another point is about the layer three projects. Um, I don't know about the specific definition of layer three, but I guess some, some projects are working as a bridge uh, to, to connect different blockchains like layer zero and uh, wormhole. And, I guess that's the necessary part for the whole industry. Um, but it's very dangerous. Uh, people will care about the security. Um, so uh, I will be very open to this uh, layer three projects and uh, will be glad to see more possibilities from this space. Yeah, thank you. Um, awesome. Yeah, I, I'd love to kind of pass that final question on to 
uh, Chris as well, which is essentially, and I, I think we can go a little more broad than doing the L3 discussion, but uh, more or less, how, how are you kind of seeing uh, scaling and, and what kind of things are, are do you think we're going to see coming down the scaling pipeline uh, in, in 2023? Yeah, thanks. It, it's a great question. Um, I, I, I think like w- within the, the this this industry we we are all in um the the scaling issue has always been been there and everyone is trying to solve the the scaling issue especially with the l1s that have um emerged since 2017 and what one thing that one trend that we can see is that most of the new layer ones or layer twos um, while they are very scalable, they are not fully utilized. And I think that's that's the first problem that we still need to solve before going into scaling even further. But I think that app chains or layer threes um, are great for games and especially for, 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 for games of a massive scale that need their own customization when it comes to, for example, transaction costs um, and, and, and the speed itself for the user to have a smooth UI and the UX so the, the game developers can really focus on the experience of the game. What we've seen in the, the, the gamify industry in the past two years is nothing um, yeah, to, to, to say, okay, this, this is the future of gaming or anything. Um, so hopefully there will be a big company developing on top of an app chain in the upcoming years to really bring this technology into fruition and for more people to enjoy in the back end. I think that's great. But also the what yeah, um my my co guest has said, I think there's there are interesting use cases for bridges. Um oftentimes when, when layer twos emerge, they do talk about, oh, um we we are yeah, the extension, the layer two of Ethereum. And this will make the onboarding, the on and off ramping of native assets more easy. Um, then we have the optimistic rollups like Arbitrum and Optimism, where the rollup time is fairly fast, but the roll-off time takes yeah four to seven days or even hours. And that's something that the user does not enjoy, right? So I think that's that is the reason why the optimistic rollups. Um, do need to connect different bridges so that people they they can use the the built-in security for fast on-ramping, but for fast off-ramping they can still use a different bridge, and that somewhat de- defies the purpose of uh, yeah of 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 the direct connection between the bridge uh, between the layer two and the layer one, and yeah m- maybe there can be an app chain of a bridge that serves as an active layer two between different networks so that the assets can then truly be roaming around between the different chains um, in an even more secure way, but also use CK technology or other means that I've never heard of to make this experience faster than ever before. I think that's great. And with with more regulatory compliant or or blockchain reg, uh, uh, with more regulations that are pro-blockchain technology throughout the world. Um, hopefully bigger players or other players with different backgrounds than we currently have in this industry 
can yeah create new use cases that can actually um yeah be be used on a daily basis um for for everyone to enjoy um it's not just remittance maybe on, on just for marketing um, maybe for user retention to use it. Maybe there's things that we haven't used of, uh, thought of right now and are still, yeah, things that are not only GameFi, not just GameFi, um, not just remittance out there to actually, yeah, build use cases that need even more scalability than we have right now. Yeah, uh, I, I think that makes total sense. I think gaming is a great example of, you know, some of the trade-offs that you have to make. You know, uh, yeah, you might have to sacrifice some security in order for, you know, UI and, and UX. But at the end of the day, like in L3, you're not fully compromising security and, and you still get all of the benefits of, um, you know, the, the, the ownership of the assets and, and, and kind of digital ownership without necessarily needing, like, every single application to be like completely decentralized i I think there's trade-offs all over the board and and i think you hit that in a really awesome way um so uh first off i want to thank all of our partners that have come up here tonight's been a a, quite a long night with with you know a a few uh, situations but i think we've handled it and and kind of moved through them really efficiently so first off i want to uh really thank all of our partners that that took the time out here to kind of stick with us, especially um, our L1, L2 partners over here at the end, uh, at the end with uh, Miss Jasmine from Sui World, and uh, Chris from Conflux, and and all of our our venture partners as well as our leading projects. Uh, they spent a lot of time with us, so we are super super grateful. Time spent. Um, I'd like to give a huge thank you to the Bitmart team. Um, they've been amazing. Uh, you know, Miss Lee, who's the CSO at Bitmart, as well as. Uh, uh, Nick Hoog, who is the uh, VP of Marketing at Bitmart. I mean, they've been amazing in helping set this up. The rest of the Bitmart team uh, through everything that's happened. Um, so, unfortunately, we do not have time for the AMA. But before we go, we do have our third quiz question. Um, and again, just like at the beginning, uh, and, and you can click on this pinned tweet in order to comment the answer to it. Um, but our third and final question before we get out of here is, which two new products were launched on Bitmart in 2022? Again, which two new products were launched on Bitmart in 2022? So the first person to answer that uh, in the pin tweet by commenting under the pin tweet will have the opportunity to win 100 USDT. Um, so we really appreciate the audience for sticking around. This has been an, a long night, but a really, really informative night. We've, we've got to hear from some of the top projects in this space, some of the top uh, venture capitalists and, and capital allocators, um, some leaders from different layer one and layer two infrastructure providers, as well as, uh, you know, Wes Kaplan, the CEO of Cointelegraph US and the, uh, some of the leadership team at Bitmart as well. So, I think today went really well. We hope that you guys join us in the future uh, where we will definitely have less technical difficulties, but we appreciate everybody that's been able to stay on with us for this time. Super informative, uh, a really great night, a lot of great insight, and uh, we will see you guys next time. Um, So thank you again, everybody, on behalf of the Bitmark team, and uh, we we will catch you guys next time. I appreciate it, everybody. Thank you so much.
Thanks. Nice talking to you. Thanks for the invite and thanks for the amazing hosting.